Welcome to another podcast for Culture and Convictions. I am Iron Petrie, along with my co-host, my wife, my lovely wife. Hi, everybody. Star Petrie. And uh, it is so good to be here. Good morning, good evening, uh, good night. I don't know when you're listening to this, but wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this, we greet you and we're so glad that you chose to tune in with us on another podcast here at Culture and Convictions. Look, well, we've got a full show here. We've, we've got a lot to talk about. There is always a lot to talk about. Yeah. I mean, the news never stops. So very excited to, to uh, have you guys joining us. Um, hopefully these topics don't get old to you because they never get old to us. <laughs> I mean, it, and it seems, you know, ad nauseum that we're constantly talking about race and politics. Well, they, yeah, they never get old. Uh, they never get to, old. To the it media just, either. So. <laughs> it just keeps on coming. But um, one of the first topics I think that that's important to hit is um, the Black History Roundtable that was held at the White House. Now, we're, we've already talked about different gatherings of, of African-Americans at the White House. In fact, you went to D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and got a chance to go to the White House. Yeah. So there's a real push by the Trump administration to ensure that I don't think so much that they're catering to, to African-Americans as much as it is that they want people to know what it is that the administration has done. Um, to assist, in particular, African-American communities. And so this roundtable had a lot of prominent voices, um, people that you probably, if you you listen in those circles, then you're very familiar with the people who are sitting at the table. Um, But they had some interesting things to say, and uh, I think it's it's better for you to hear it from from them than from us. It's hard not to get choked up. My name is Bruce Lavelle, and I've been with President since day one. Yeah, Pastor mm-hmm. Darrell, I love you, yeah. and thank you for introducing me, Pastor, to uh, uh, President Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, when he said he wanted to defend the babies, I'm a I'm a rescue baby from an orphanage. And when this president came out and says, "What about adoption?" I wonder where I would be, and I wonder what it would be like if, it, if this man was in an office just defending the babies in the womb or someone like me that was left abandoned in a home. And that's very dear to me, you know. Um, I'm one of the largest black-owned jewelry store owners, my wife that runs and she's the boss in Atlanta. And guys, let me tell you, it's for the press. I'm just gonna, for the record. This president is about to resurrect and restore black generational wealth like you mm. have never seen. Yes, mm. yes. 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 Okay. Not only yes, we talk right. about building, you know, creating yes. jobs in the community, not only we talk about prison reform, yeah, opportunity zone, but how many presidents says, you know, you build the grocery store, you build your business, mm-hmm. you create your generational mm-hmm. wealth, you restore your 401k. Yes. The disconnect and all the candidates that are leading the Democrat Party, especially Biden, are the ones mm-hmm. that started the prison reform bill. He sponsored it in 94. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're crying out loud. No flag on the stage. Where's the flag? For the, where, where is that? Mm-hmm. Thank God we have a hundred flags when he's on the stage. Thank you, Jesus. You know, so guys, you know, this, yes, he will and is the greatest president for the African American community, yeah. black community, yeah. brown, Absolutely. mocha. Give me another one out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get one witness at the table. And the, and the other thing, how are you out in the press for 45 years with all these friends traveling everywhere? And I was privileged to travel with them in the beginning, opening the rallies, thank God for Pastor Darrell, all the things we've been through. Now he runs for president, now all of a sudden he's a racist. How is that? Y'all know that's a lie? It is. It Y'all is need a to lie. Stop that. And I'm Bruce, so he's tired. not colorblind. He can I, see. Alvita, I know that. He loves us. I, I know but that. But hey, hey, color is good. You, you not bad. He can see Jesus gives sight Because he loves God and he loves Christ. And yeah. that is through him. Amen. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't be afraid to okay, say it. That's right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. It hurts me. It hurts me when you call this man a My skin crawls right now. So that's just a small clip. Now, you know, when when we just culturally as black people get together, it's always call and response, even when you don't expect it, (laughs) even when you're not even that that wasn't even your intention. But if there's another black person in the room, I mean, if you're talking good, somebody's going to say, 
Yeah. Come on, brother. <laughs> you know, there's always somebody that's going to toss you a bone and get you a little bit more amped up. And that's kind of how it went in the room. Everybody started out real professional. You know, he's like, we're going to go around the table, give your name, blah, blah, blah. First mm-hmm. half of the table kept it real light and easy. Well, Boy, you know, it made it to yeah. the second half. They were they were ready. Well, you know, ideas. Everybody kind of gets warmed up listening to everybody else. Uh, no doubt. Uh, you know, talk. No so. doubt. And, and this gentleman was no was no different. So one of the reasons why I picked this clip was was basically because he he talked about something that you and I had previously talked about two or three two or three episodes ago, um, which was you know we were talking about Ados, the American descendants of slaves, and their push for reparations, right? Because they mm-hmm. were talking about the wealth gap in America, in particular for African Americans. Mm-hmm. And so you're hearing a gentleman who says, "Hey, I own one of the largest jewelry stores right there in Atlanta." me and my wife, and I can tell you for a fact that, that this man is putting policies in place to restore generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So you're telling me there's, there's an economic approach to restoring generational wealth that doesn't require us to open up the coffers of Congress to just anybody, just anybody. You want a dollar? You want you want two dollars? Can I give you five? Yeah. Um, we don't have to do that. We mm-hmm. can we can give people the means and the freedom, which is what which is what this country is all about, right? The the ability for any man to take his ingenuity, his creativity, and go out in the world and build something. But he builds that something based on his service of others. Yeah. That's that's the crux of it, right? That that you have to build something that serves humanity. And humanity places a value on that thing that you serve them. And no doubt about it. And uh, and that's all that you really aim to to uh, really have. I mean, why why would you want government to get involved and become another hand in the middle of uh, you know being behind a transaction from one from one place to the next? Because you're you're once again you're not building wealth. You know, you're 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 sparsing up and disseminating what has already been created. And in this case, of course, the government doesn't create any jobs and it's not creating any any wealth. But you're just sparsing up and dividing up the uh, revenue from what other people have had to pay into the government. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. what so you really it's a failed idea. And so at the end of the day, what you do want are policies that make opportunities available for people to move themselves along through or, their own ingenuity and their own creativity. Or in Trump's case, you walk in the door and you say, how many of these executive orders, how many laws do I have to undo to try to give people their freedom back? That's right. Right To remove the chains and to remove the, the barriers of entry um, that impede people's ability to enter into, into op- to economic opportunity. Because not everyone, again, has that $10,000 down payment to go in and make their business. But, I mean, praise God, now you got the Internet. And it doesn't even take that. You know what I mean? You That's can right. monetize all kind of stuff and, and find yourself far better off than you were being a content creator. Think about that. I mean, yeah. you and I had that conversation that, you know, 15 years ago, I mean, what was a content creator? <laughs> yeah. Nobody you know even knew what I mean? That like, was. okay, yeah, yeah, I never heard of that. But nowadays, you know, literally the world is open and it's I a think different world it's man. a it's a wholly different world and i think it's amazing um to hear people's perspective who are in business because they know you know what i mean it's like yeah. we're we're in those circles we understand what these policies are, are are providing and benefiting whereas some of us who aren't in those circles don't i don't get it i don't see it yeah um but there's there's opportunities that are out there if we can get past the victimology um, and the the entire race hustling industry, I think, that has laid mm-hmm. a burden on the entire culture and a barrier to success that makes it almost it's almost impenetrable because it's been there for what sixty, seventy years. I mean, it's it's gone on for so long mm-hmm. that I think it's almost inbred in a lot of us. Well, it, what they've done is created a tremendous amount of pessimism and skepticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know you're. A lot of times when someone's been dubbed a racist like President Trump, you're racist until proven innocent, right? You you can't, and then in many cases, you you really can't unprove it in t- for some, you know, and it becomes an issue for black people to move beyond that, and it becomes an issue for black people to be able to look beyond it and actually move into opportunity mm-hmm. when that opportunity doesn't come at the hands of those who have been dubbed as black friendly. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. And so if, if we don't, if we don't get to the point where we're willing to look full in the face of this type of uh, not only prejudice and racism in and of itself, 
because that's really what all it is, is hatred and racism uh, going from black to white. Mm. If we don't look full in the face of that and realize not only that, that we have decades of loyalty to a party Mm-hmm. that has shown us nothing remotely close to what is transpiring under this man's administration. And that's a, that's an inconvenient truth for a whole lot of people. But you, you got to, as soon as we can swallow that and get that down, I think as a whole, we can move forward much quicker, much faster. Well, I want to, I want to read something. And, and this is a, this is an article, uh, a snippet from an article out of the Washington post. And this was posted uh, January 17th of, of this year. Mm. And it says that more than eight in 10 black Americans say they believe Trump is a racist and that he has made racism a bigger problem in the country. Nine in 10 disapprove of his job performance overall. And the pessimism goes well beyond assessments of the president. A 65% majority of African Americans say it's a bad time. Listen to this. Mm. It's a bad time to be a black person in America. Wow. That view is widely shared by clear majorities of black adults across income, generational, and political lines. By contrast, 77% of black Americans say it's a good time to be a white person, with a wide majority saying white people don't understand the discrimination faced by black Americans. A 65% majority, 65 of this Ipsos poll, say it's a bad time to be a black person in America. Because that's funny. Because every time I turn around, I see black people on TV. I see black people doing a whole <laughs> lot of things. I'm, I'm serious. I see black people wow. opening the Grammys. I see black people having TV shows called Blackish and Mixedish and everything else. Oh, my god! So I find it very hard to believe. It's just difficult for me based on, you know, when I balance media, against mm. entertainment i think i think we're well represented to be 13 percent of the population oh gosh yes i mean let's be honest we're 13 percent of the population and yet when you look across the nfl the nba i mean i, I see mean, a lot of black faces i mean and not only that if you if you if you just want to get real honest about it the soundtrack of america is hip-hop I mean, it used to be, <laughs> it used to be country and western, but now that well, the, what is it? The top country and western song <laughs> was by Billy Ray Cyrus and, and what is his a little Nas X, X or something? And now, and it's hip hop, and, right. and there's been this merger there as well. It is, uh, it is not. It, it, but see, this is the thing: when you read statements like that, it always takes me back to Thomas Sowell. God bless Thomas Sowell, <laughs> uh, the great economist Thomas Sowell, when he talked about the story of young black men wanting to, and this is a real life story, this isn't hypothetical made up stuff, who uh, approached, I think, I think it was after a commencement address at, at, a, at a particular uh, university, and these black men voiced the desire to be pilots in the military, right? To which they said, but the white man ain't going to let me be no pilot or fly no plane. Mm. And of course, saying that standing in the long and illustrious shadow of the exploits, (laughs) yeah, of the exploits of the Tuskegee Airmen, as well as other high ranking officials in the military who happen to be black and brown people. And it's, it's amazing. The cognitive, Oh my gosh, it it, it is an ode to indoctrination and its power. Yes, sir. Right. That it can separate people from reality. It can mm-hmm. pull them right out of reality mm-hmm. <laughs> and right in the midst of historic uh, employment. I mean, unemployment rates amongst black people. Right. That being that they're the lowest ever in our country's history. You, you're seeing all of these policies that people have talked about forever from prison reform to these opportunity zones to all of this other stuff that's out there that we could talk about uh, endlessly and to actually be pulled out of that reality off of just dogma. That's all racial dogma because people are telling you because things are being repeated ad nauseum over and over in the media using just like a dog whistle, like (laughs) Pavlov's dog. We just respond to it without any type of real uh, vetting of the of the thought or the statement. And here we are talking about it's a bad time. 
And just like you said, some of the most affluent human beings in the United States of America are black, are black people. people. They're black people. And, and they're black people that are highly visible. Sure. Anytime they're present, a camera is somewhere following them. Sure. They are everywhere. They're, they're negotiating the purchases of things they're here to for. They never even talked about purchasing or owning. And so we have to, uh, we, we just have to s- step out of the dogma, man, and come out of this, <laughs> this bad nightmare, this decades long nightmare of, of, of thinking this way or and, not thinking really at all. And this happens, yes, because of indoctrination. Yes, because of the media. But I think the, the larger, the, the larger crux of this and, and, and impetus behind it is really just, we just are so quick to forget I mean, we we have very little consideration for what was. And and I think that makes it very difficult to judge what is. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't know what has been, then you have no clue how to judge what's sitting in front of you. That's true. You know what I mean? But with life experience and with history and empirical evidence, it it arms me to make a better choice, to make a better decision, because yes, I know factually what has happened when bad decisions have been made. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to kind of take us back. And I think that I think it's important for us to go back to 2011. Right. President Barack Obama is in office. And if you remember, the issue became that the Congressional Black Caucus started to make some noise about unemployment. Because I want to say that the unemployment rate nationally was like 17.5% for African Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was some real concern coming from the Congressional Black Caucus who had to walk that fine line, right? Because no. we can't really make demands. We can't get too rowdy about it because yeah. we don't want to injure. Yeah, the first black there, president. There you go. So we got to be careful. So yeah. first we're going to start off with President Obama saying, hey, those those shovel ready jobs weren't so shovel ready. Uh, and then we're going to get into, you know, how he reprimanded the Congressional Black Caucus. Shovel ready was not as uh, <laughs> shovel ready as we expected. So shovel ready was not as shovel ready as we expected. Now, you remember they pumped and pushed this idea of this jobs package <laughs> that was going to be all about infrastructure. I mean, Stimulus. it was going to be, I'm telling you, Stimulation. they were going to stimulate us by, by oh. fixing bridges and roads all across America. And I'm curious that if we were to go back out to some of those sites, if there's still potholes, and, <laughs> you know, caverns. I don't Lots know. Lots of stimulus, man. But there was a whole lot of stimulating and, and very little going on by his own admission, right? That's yeah. not anybody trying to the point The shovel-ready jobs were not that's, so shovel-ready as we thought. They so were. then I want you guys to also hear another, another clip. Like I said, this is Barack Obama talking to the CBC. I don't have time to feel sorry for myself. I don't have time to complain. I'm going to press on. I expect all of you to march with me and press on. Take off your bedroom slippers. Put on your marching shoes. Shake it off. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop crying. We are going to press on. We've got work to do. So he's telling them, basically, what did he tell them, dear? Get in line. Shut up <laughs> and get in line. Now I don't. I don't want to have to come back here and tell you ninjas. Oh my gosh! I don't want to have to tell you another time. Okay, that's exactly what he just. Communicated I'm sorry, but I, I mean, I'm a I'm a, I'm a speaker, so I I I, uh, I get up in front of people and I preach often, right? I, being that. I now notice public speaking in a whole nother light. I see people, I can sometimes, not all the time, of mm-hmm. course, but sometimes you can almost read the person's mind. <laughs> Once you've been up and you've been in front of people and you've given speeches or you've preached sermons or whatever. You, and what, I, what, what strikes me is so interesting is the change of cadence. Oh, yeah. His use of his words. Yes, yes. I, almost, I, I just... I, I'm never a fan of that because I feel like be who you are everywhere all the time because it it, <laughs> it it didn't have to be that way. Why but do you it, have to talk about slippers? Take your slippers off. But it, I don't Put know. your marching shoes on. It's like, brother, we all sit <laughs> here in this auditorium. Picking. No, you're oh, picking, got, baby. I'm <laughs> not picking. I'm just simply asking, what does that have to do with anything? But but it's the it's 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 the terrible problem that we have many times in our community 
they are so that room is so paralyzed by race Hmm. because on the one hand, they cannot really bring up uh, any serious concerns and really pull on him too much. Why? Because he's the first black president. He got over 90 percent of the black vote. Everybody's behind him. He's on every black publication you can imagine. Everybody loves him. And so there's not a whole lot they can say. But at the same time, uh, he stands up there and he gets to stand behind this ironclad shield and he gets to hurl these bombs at them. And so they what are they going to do with that? What is what is uh, what is Maxine Waters going to say? You know, she's got something to say. Well, but she has to say something. Yeah, she's got to say something. And, and she did. And let me <laughs> and let me go back and change that too. make sure I get this right. It was 16.2 percent for blacks overall. And it was 17.5 percent specifically for black males. Unemployment. Yeah. So a real concern. Uh, a real concern. A real had, issue had, when everybody else had, is getting something. Okay, let's take those numbers you just spoke of uh-huh. and let's transpose those numbers to 2020. Okay. And let's have Donald Trump sitting over those numbers. Oh, what, off what, with his head. What are we going to hear? Oh, I off mean, with what, his what's head. Gonna, what's going to be it? Oh, my gosh. Nah, oh, and so, see, done. now <laughs> now the whole thing would be switched. And see, there would be outrage. But back then, there was no such outrage. No. It, it was it was barely a whimper. It was barely a whimper. <laughs> they tried to they tried Paraly- to provide a little bite. They did. They but tried paralyzed to more 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 than anything. Paralyzed though by race and the race issue. Mm-hmm. And so see, it 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 prevents truth. But but also, I I would I would remind people also that that President Obama was a progressive. Yeah. And his commitment was to his ideology it was not to his race obviously he was he he was mixed race i mean his mom was white his dad was black so i don't think he really came from a situation where it was so much about being pro you know fist in the air i think his his thing was and raised mainly by his mother and and raised mainly by his mother i think it was mainly i am a progressive i have certain ideologies that i need to get done in these four or eight years that i'm here and he got eight yeah. And his friendships over over his lifetime really prove out that prove that out to be very progressive. And so and so his loyalties were in other places. But he and so many around him knew that for African American people it just wouldn't matter. Because mm. we saw, like we talked about before, we saw a symbol. We yep. saw a symbol of hope. I mean, my kid can one day be president now. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this before. How many African-Americans set out to do things that they had no representation no for? No point of reference for. They them. weren't sitting back like, boy, I sure would love to be that doctor. But until I see Ben Carson crack a skull open, I don't think it's possible. Mm. No. No. But because because your inspiration doesn't come based off of skin color. And representation. It no, doesn't. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because we're spirits. Yeah. So I look at something, and if that connects with me, because my inward man says, man, I could that's care me. less what color it I, is. It could be pink and polka dot. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does not And matter. I'm going to pull from that resource. I'm going to pull from that example because that's the person that, and that speaks to if me. If it's in you and you want to accomplish it, achieve it, you want to go after it, you will. I mean, name me with the, the dominance academically of the Asian population. Name me <laughs> preeminent Asian professors. I'm sure there's some, but I don't. There, oh, there's some, <laughs> but there's not a lot of them. We don't. We don't even have to. We don't even have to. We don't even have to fake the funk, as they say. Right. At the end of the day, they don't require it. They don't need it. Right. You know what I mean? And so there are so many things that we we like to sit around and we like to say representation matters in this way and it matters in that way. And at the end of the day, it does not, because our foreparents did so without any points of reference. They accomplished, my gosh. They accomplish things without not only any sort of point of reference, but they accomplish them in the face of segregation, in the face of Jim Crow, in the face of black codes. In yes. the, nobody likes to talk about this. And we need to devote an entire show actually to this, this, this kind of invisible or hidden century of black achievement <laughs> from 1865 to roughly 1965, where black people without civil rights laws, without voting rights, without anybody tripping over themselves necessarily to just educate all of us or or to give them anything. Black people are making astronomical leaps forward. 
uh, economically, socially, and otherwise. And not, and not only that, the family is intact. Mm-hmm. And illegitimacy is low. Unemployment in, is low. I mean, it's it's the, one of the most amazing centuries of black achievement, but nobody talks about it because it's it's fixed and situated in a point in time in history where the achievement of black people was is so counterintuitive to the way we think blacks have to make it today mm-hmm. that we don't want to talk about that. Mm-mm. Right. We don't we don't want to bring that up because because that's black people moving without any representation, <laughs> without any hands out, without any anything. Right. right. And so it bucks the trend. It goes against the narrative and we can't allow that to be so. But um, this is it's, it's such an important thing what you're talking about, though, because because here we have getting back to President Obama as juxtaposed to what's going on with President Trump. It's like a tale of two different worlds it's because. We had treated President Obama like uh, just a a blank uh, projector screen, right? And we were going to put on him whatever we we wanted to put on him. And he could stand behind that and really not accomplish much. Mm -hmm. But now, if you were to have taken the same realities of black people under Obama and transposed those to now, there would be rioting. Oh, no doubt. There would be absolute outrage. Outrage. But there was no such outrage. But not you, not politically. And I and I want to make sure, just like you're saying, that we that we tie all this together. Okay. So the reason why we show the shovel ready jobs is because, like I said, that was their that was the big pitch that they were gonna they were gonna oh, yeah. spur the economy. It was a big deal by by bringing those jobs right. Not an innovation. Not unleashing people's creativity. Not giving people any type of incentive to go out there and and become entrepreneurs and do their own thing. But no, I'm gonna give you a shovel, and I'm going to tell you to go over there. Now, I'm not trying to, to, to downplay that, but what I'm saying is, as a president, shouldn't, shouldn't your want be to unleash everyone's potential to go out in the world and be as great as they can be, mm-hmm. as opposed to relegating everybody to saying, the best I can do for you is for you to lay some cement and do that hmm. and yet you didn't even provide that so that never that never even came to fruition no. so what else did you offer us uh got an obama phone um and what else well a whole lot of a whole lot of movement in the lgbtq community True. a whole lot of uh True. talk around dreamers True. and immigrants um which that didn't materialize either right. <laughs> for them but I don't recall much of anything else. And and that's not not major. And that's the and that is the crux of what I'm trying to talk about, right? That this idea that how is it that we soon forget that you had eight years of progressivism to provide you some something. I mean anything. Show us something that we can pin our hats to uh, and you didn't give us anything. And let me put a button I mean put a pin here and then I'll let you, you pick up and finish. And then not only that, your first two years, there is literally no resistance to you in your agenda and what you want to do, because you've got a majority House and Senate that is Democrat. Mm. You could have done whatever you want, whatever you wanted to do. Mm. And you gave us a tax (laughs) in the form of a health care plan or bill. Like any good progressive. I mean, (laughs) like any good progressive. (laughs) What do you want to call it? Obamacare or or affordable health care or whatever you want to call it. It was a tax. Right. And it was something that was rolled out with a lot of smoke and mirrors, stuff people didn't understand. You didn't have to know. pass it before you, you can read it. Before you can know what was mm-hmm. in it. And there's all kinds of things that went on. And people found out that it was a bit of a raw deal in so many cases. And and I'm, 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 I'm just sitting here. You know what I'm saying? You had had you given if you look at the accelerated rate and people just have to give this up to what President Trump has been able to accomplish Mm -hmm. in his first term in office. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has been going at an accelerated rate. And I I can't recall one single 24-hour news cycle in which he has not been getting blasted by some media outlet, if not several, over something. Right. I mean, it's been... I mean, it's been bombs bursting in air, (laughs) rockets red glare, and I'm not talking about positive stuff. Every single day... Right. For the first four years and everything that's happening at such a fast pace. Now you go back in time and you say, we've got President Obama. 
Democrat House and Senate first two years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, where's my pen? (laughs) You know what I mean? Where's my pen? Let's get moving. Or at least let me. What was that agenda that I had again? Oh, yeah. Can anybody remember what the agenda was? Not really, because we were going off a hope and change. (laughs) So nobody really knew. No. You know what I mean? And that's no. why he was able to walk in there and he and Pelosi were able to get together. And the first thing they want to do, like you said, is tax the American people. Yeah. And and that's an unfortunate thing. But but I want again, let's take this step back in time and let's just think about it, because you've got 65 percent of people saying that they're worse off, that black people. This is not a good time. This is not a good, time. Not a good time to be black. Right. Then the, you've got eight out of 10 of us in this Ipsos poll saying that Donald Trump is a racist. And saying that he hasn't really done anything for black America. So let's go back in time. Here's Maxine Waters uh, addressing uh, President Obama's talk at the CBC. California, former chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. She was at that event on Saturday when President Obama told the caucus to, quote, stop complaining and to put your marching shoes on. Good to have you with us. Uh, first of all, what was your reaction to that the, when he said stop complaining, stop grumbling, stop crying? Well, I'm not sure um, exactly who the president was talking to. As you know, the Congressional Black Caucus has been out in five cities where we held town hall meetings and jobs fairs addressing this 16.7 unemployment that's real, that translates in some areas to 30, 40 percent unemployment, and with black youth, 50 percent unemployment. So I'm not sure who the president was addressing. I found that language a bit curious because... Uh, The president spoke uh, to the Hispanic caucus, uh, and certainly they're pushing him on immigration. Uh, And despite the fact that he's appointed a Sotomayor to the Supreme Court, he has an office for excellence in Hispanic education Mm -hmm. right in the White House. They're still pushing him. He certainly didn't tell them to stop complaining, and he would never say that to the gay and lesbian community who really pushed him on don't ask, don't tell, or even... uh, in a speech to AIPAC, uh, he would never say to the Jewish community, stop complaining about Israel. So I don't know who he was talking to, because we're certainly not complaining. Okay. We're working. We support him, and we're protecting that base, because we want people to be enthusiastic about him oh, it sounds, when that election rolls around. In terms of enthusiasm, it sounds like, if I'm reading between the lines here, Congresswoman, that you think maybe he may not have chosen the best language to get people enthusiastic. But I want to take you back uh, to one of those moments that you had last month. You were speaking in Detroit. And you said to the folks there, I'm looking for your permission to, quote, unleash, to have a conversation with the president. It would sound like that you feel maybe he hasn't heard what's gone on uh, with some of those events that you held. So what is that conversation you want to have? And and have you had it? Well, as you know, if you listen to that uh, particular part of the town hall meeting, there were a lot of complaints, a lot of shouting Uh, from the audience about what they wanted us to do, what they wanted the president to do. And basically I said, are you ready for this conversation? And if you are, unleash us. And of course they yell, you are unleashed. Because the conversation must be about, first of all, I recognize that there's pain and desperation in the African-American community. The unemployment rates are just unacceptable. People want jobs. They want to work. When we had these jobs fairs, they stood in line by the thousands of circling the blocks to get a chance to talk to employers. In Los Angeles, 10,000 people showed up. Let me ask you So they want to know that we recognize and the president recognized the pain that's in the African-American community. So very interesting, right? And pretty strong Mm. language considering the time. This is probably fall of 2011. So the the fact that Maxine Waters is basically saying we, we want some of the same opportunity for conversation and for consideration that you're giving to Hispanics, mm-hmm. right? Because you remember back, it was all about the DREAM Act and getting oh, yeah. that passed, and people were really pushing that. And, and then she comes back over there and says, well, and then the LGBTQ community is getting some stuff they want as well, mm-hmm. and we're still over here like, hey, we gave you 90% of the vote. <laughs> and... <laughs> we can't seem to find you on on issues relating and pertaining to us. And then also interesting that you go to a town hall and black people are upset and they like, let me talk to Obama. I'm sure some of them like, what's his number? I pick up the phone, I call him myself. <laughs> I don't need you being my intermediary, right? But she says, well, will you unleash us to do that? Well, 
Isn't that why you represent us? Exactly. I mean, why should that even be a question? If if someone's in office and they've forgotten a, a part of the American fabric, right, mm-hmm. which is black, Hispanic, Asian, whomever, then isn't that part of the reason why I put you in office? And I, and I know Maxine doesn't represent uh, Detroit. Sure. But my point is just, generally speaking, as African-Americans, if you understand that there's that there's an issue like unemployment that w- that was plaguing communities, then how come you wouldn't take that up as your initial charge? Well, I mean, in your own self-interest, you're probably not wanting to commit what you feel may be political suicide. So you you sit back and you you put up with stuff and you go to the people and you say, well, give us the permission to say something. When you guys uh, let us say something, we'll say something if you let us say something. <laughs> Because <laughs> they've know. always been so shackled by their oh, constituencies, yeah. I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> so, but but that's the thing. That's the power of, that's the power that he had being the first black president in the United States of America. Like mm-hmm. I said, it was an, in, in an in, impenetrable, sometimes I have a tough time saying that word, impenetrable shield. It was. It was. He could stand behind that shield and he could lob bombs do mike tyson baby do mike tyson how's mike tyson (laughs) he says it's impregnable (laughs) my defense is impregnable (laughs) but but he could but he could actually (laughs) he could actually stand behind that shield of race and quench all the fiery darts of critique and black people wouldn't critique him whites would not critique him Mm -hmm. uh the the right those on the right who were in the media, you had your Rush Limbaugh's, you had your Sean Hannity's, people that people can't stand, you know, on the left and especially African-American community, just they can't stand those voices. But they were the only ones who were free enough to actually say, no, nope, flag on the play. This w- this hope and change is, is just is hoax. It's a hoax. <laughs> it's not hope at all. And they started to call some things out. And irregardless of whether you were in agreement with temperament or, or language or whatever was used, it was just the truth. And, and this is the thing about history. Uh, when we're honest, right, it starts to bear itself out because now you have what everybody wants to paint. It, it's almost like they painted President Obama one way. They treated him like a blank sheet. Mm-hmm. When President Trump comes down the escalator, I don't know what happened because up until that point, he was black friendly. You know what I mean? He was pictures with Don King and Jesse Jackson and Michael Jackson and Mike Tyson and Shaquille O'Neal. And you, I could just <laughs> go down the list. He's in rap songs. He's the, he's the subject matter of, of, of the American dream for, for black men rapping and everything he was working else. working with Jesse Jackson as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's just he's giving money to the Clintons and, and he's, he's, he's all of this. But then when he comes down that escalator and he's coming down and he's going to red pill it, right? He's going he's gonna to be a Republican. Then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like, he passed through something Amazing. that completely white whited out all of his individuality and humanity and now he was to be racist, racist. and he and, and they just like they painted Obama as this this messiah this messianic figure now they've painted Trump as a racist mm-hmm. and so he sits in the office president Trump this this racist this <laughs> A small step down from the Grand Wizard of the KKK, by by all accounts, yeah. and here he is presiding over some of the most historic and and meaningful, meaningful mm-hmm. achievements and and progress in the African American community that this nation has ever seen, and and so it's a judgment on our unwillingness to be honest about what we're voting for and why we're voting. Because you remember back when, when President Obama was running, people said, I didn't vote just because he was black. If you ever said that to black people, they just about chop your head off. I didn't vote because he was black. Well, why did you vote? Because you just had a, a, one of your representatives asking you to unleash them to check him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what were you voting for I'm then? I'm just going to go to my house and be mad about it. I'm yeah, just I'm just mad yeah, about know, it at the house. I, I don't understand it all. <laughs> I just don't really understand it all really is what it is. And then they just working against him. No, this is not. No. A, nobody no, was working no, against him no, in that no. case. This is simply us voting race. And it comes back to bite us. And, and it's I, still biting us today because now here we are with the president where we, we have opportunity and enlarge black people are not moving into it as we could. And, you know, here, here's why this is so critical because we have a, a, a very important election that's coming up 
And in November is not the time to start trying to make some decisions as to what you're going to do. Come on. You ought to be able to get yourself together right now and say, wait a minute. Let me let me judge platforms. Let me judge actions. Let me judge results and make some decisions about where my vote's going to be cast. Mm -hmm. But I just want to give a couple of of things that that have been done under the Trump administration. Obviously, we've talked about the First Step Act. The, The whole point was basically to reconnect these low level offenders mm-hmm. who who've gotten caught up in things who got just tremendous, ridiculous sentences. I mean, oh 40 years, 20 years um, to return them back into the society and give them an opportunity to get back on straight street. Right. Yeah. To give them a chance to come back and, and be productive citizens. And so uh, there was a report by the U.S. Sentencing Commission that revealed that 91.3% of the 1,051 people who received retroactive sentencing reductions due to the passage of the First Step Act were black. Mm-hmm. Think about that. 91.3%. Yeah. But yet, he's a racist. Yeah. Right? Neo-fascist. That's right. And then when he did those pardons, everybody's like, see, he's letting Blagojevich go, and he's letting this person go. Yeah. And it's just all about, it's all about him helping his cronies and his friends, right? But nobody wants to mention Alice Johnson or Matthew Charles, who, no. who Matthew Charles, he got 20 years for just, for selling crack cocaine. Um, but yet, he's, he's racist, right? Trump yeah. is divisive. He's a neo-fascist. He's a narcissist. I mean, it goes on and on. <laughs> and, and you know what I want to tell people? Stop projecting. Yeah. Because you know a lot of times wow. when people get busy wow. throwing arrows oh, and stones <laughs> and, and, and saying the same things that's over heavy. and over and over again, I start to believe that it ain't me. It's definitely you. Yeah. It's got to be. Because oh, I'm hey. if I'm laying up in your head like that and that's I don't even talk to you, that's probably all you, dog. It's probably it's all truth. you. And so not to mention the money that he sent to HBCUs, the yeah. executive orders that he signed. I think he signed two of them. Uh, record low employment. Uh, this idea of opportunity zones. Right. Which was all about allow giving businesses a reason, an incentive to go into depressed neighborhoods. Yes. Economically depressed neighborhoods and actually invest there. Yeah. So they're able to take their capital gains, reinvest them back in there and and obviously receive some type of tax benefit as a result. Yeah. But but he's making he's giving people an opportunity to see better in their communities. Right. Communities that ultimately a lot of businesses are like, I ain't going up in there. Yeah. The cost of business is higher. It's too high. I mean, you got the cost of security. High. You got the cost of 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 crime in some mm-hmm. of those those communities. Mm-hmm. But 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 I mean, if you think about it, these opportunity zones, I wanted to read this. Well, created by the the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, there are roughly 8,000 of these zones that are designated. Um, they are home to nearly 35 million Americans in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and five territories. So we're talking about a large amount of people. Right. And we're talking about we're talking about giving an opportunity to where I mean, once again, I mean, something this this type of creativity, this type of innovation or uh, I don't even want to call it creativity or innovation. It's just this this effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just stay there. This type of effort is not what we have seen. Effort that has become reality. I mean, it's actually boots on the ground it's happening right it's not in a think tank somewhere yeah yeah yeah. we're not we're not just talking about this we're actually doing something and that's one of the things about it man when you've got people in office who are men or and women of action the men and women of words all they can do in response is come up with more words in hopes that those words will trump the fruit of the actions of the people of action and right now we have an administration that seems to be active. Yep. I mean, we're not talking, we're moving. Mm-hmm. And so it's putting everybody in a real pickle because you have to really double down <laughs> in your prejudice, in your presuppositions, and you got to dig all the way in, right, yep. to be able to deal with this type of uh, this type of success and this type of winning that's going on, and you know, I, I was just gonna say that I, I think the the biggest thing that culturally we can do as 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 Black people is really consider the fact that for eight years you were taken for granted, yeah, got nothing out of the deal, right? Eight years, and then it's been and then all of a sudden, well, I'm I'm just I know speci- what you mean. Okay, yeah, spe- of course, just talking specifically to to 
Mr. Obama's presidency, but um, but now you you see a resurgence of Democratic candidates who are, who are in these primaries trying to 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 woo back the black vote. Why is that? Hmm. Because because remember, I mean, just a couple of primaries ago, black people were not the number one thing on the agenda. I mean, yeah, we like you. I'll take a pictures with you. Hmm. I'll go to a couple of churches and say I'm by no means tired. I'll do that. <laughs> right. But but. My my goal here is just to pacify you, get you to that voting booth, and get me in there, and then I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah. And and the and now everybody's kind of trying to work this black issue into whatever they whatever they're talking about mm-hmm. across the board. Now you got all white candidates up there once again, Democratic Party talking mm-hmm. about diversity, but they are they are very much honed in on this idea of African-Americans, not just in South Carolina. They were talking about African-Americans in Nevada, talking about them in every primary because they know yeah. they have to know yeah. that eventually people are like, look, yeah, if nothing more, I'm just going to go try something else. Exactly. I mean, really? Yeah. And and like I said, and you've said, and others have said it as well, and it, it rebads repeating again for us as African-American people. When President Trump said, what do you have to lose? It, in terms of a political revolution, it was like a shot heard around the world. That one statement. That one statement. I'm serious, because it was the indefensible statement. If you're a black person, it was the statement that, to be quite honest, you could not come up with any defense for like if you that. were searching for one. <laughs> you, you, you were had. The statement was disarming. The statement was an affront to everything we had been loyal to. The statement was in your face. Mm-hmm. Simple statement. Simple. But it was a revolutionary statement. It was a shot heard around the black community if we heard it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it really called us on the carpet about our loyalty to the Democratic Party. And it called us on, our, on the carpet about the fact that we have put ourselves over the decades in a political no man's land. We've put ourselves in a position in a two-party system. We've put ourselves in a position where one party will not even attempt to speak to us because they feel it, feel as though all you're going to do is sit there and huff puff and roll your eyes at them when they walk in the room. Right. And then the other party believes they can tell you anything. That's exactly right. And so that is political no man's land. Mm-hmm. You have no influence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you get your you get the first African American president for eight years, and yes, you still come up and you looking in your hands, and there's nothing there. You're like, what's going on? Absolutely, you do sure. because you're in no man's land. You're going to have to commit. And historically, conservatism hmm. has been the best friend of black progress. Yes, we have been socially conservative. Yes. All of our existence. That's what we are here in this country. We've been socially conservative. Mm-hmm. There was a time when black illegitimacy was lower than whites. There was when it comes to working and work ethic. Right. Being lazy is not a, a descriptive of black people historically. It's not. It is not close to it. It's not. Right. That's not who we are. That's not who we've ever been. Right. And so we're having to go through a real renaissance politically mm-hmm. to where we are returning back to the party. And returning back to the beliefs and principles, not just the party, but the principles yes, sir. that have been responsible for us making progress against the most heinous opposition. Mm-hmm. And so this is what my prayer is for our community, is that you're waking up to principle. You're not waking up to a party. No, you're not waking up to, to you're not waking up it's to be more that. of a, yeah, a partisan person that, okay, now I'm going to switch from blue to red and I'm going to be, no, no, it's about principle. Let's wake back up to the things that have made us great because indeed (laughs) we are great. And that's as an, as a, as a country, I I always want to go back to this and remember that none of us got here by ourselves. I mean, I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation was was written by Abraham Lincoln, but came on the shoulders and the blood and sweat and tears of so many who were shooting at brothers across the line. Yes. So we have to think about the fact that America America was always created for for justice. It was. It's 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 written. It's embedded in that Constitution. It's yes. embedded there in the Bill mm-hmm. of Rights. Yes, and is. so I, you know, I I just want to encourage Black people in particular. We we've got to get off of this. We've got to get off of this ideology train because it's lead, it. it's leading us off the cliff. And you you see it everywhere you go to the point where you're almost ashamed sometimes when you see people who look like you acting. Like such just 
what is your deal? <laughs> like you have no home training. You can't be quiet when you're walking through the store. Everybody has to hear you and your conversation. Just basic stuff yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. we're, we're better. We're better than that. Oh, but if we don't that. let go of liberal ideology, if we don't let go of the, of the portrait that's been painted for us, that we, the caricature that's been painted of us, mm. we we're headed we're headed to a place of no return. We really are. We're only 13% of the population, so it's an easy place to get to. Oh, yeah. And if we don't learn this lesson and really have this come to Jesus about what we can do ourselves, it won't matter it, it won't. what politicians' opportunities are afforded to us or it what people are doing or what's going on. Because mm-hmm. in mass, we won't move into it like we should. That's right. We've got to develop the human capital. We've got to develop... Uh, not only developed human, human capital, but get back to the principles that have made us who we are. And uh, by all means, that's that's conservatism. I'm sorry. I don't care what they taught you in your African-American studies class. <laughs> I don't care what. The, I'm serious because we got to get down to this because this is what happens. You I go know. off to school and you sit in these classes and people come with this far left diatribe and they mm-hmm. fill your head full of crap. Crap that makes you nothing but a victim. A lemming. <laughs> nothing but a, and, and a parrot. You don't mm-hmm. even have your own brain anymore. You use mm-hmm. the same talking points for everything all the time, all just all over the place, That's right? right? And so we've got to unplug and say, look, as black people, we know what has got brought us this far. And it's been faith. It's been family. It's been political conservatism. Mm-hmm. That's been what it, it's been freedom. Yes, sir. And a desire for that freedom. So, well, I just want to finish with this quote, and, and you've already mentioned Dr. Thomas Sowell. And if you have not read any of Dr. Thomas Sowell's work, then what are you waiting what are for? You doing? Let's go. Amazon.com. We'll make it happen. Okay. <laughs> you need to get Absolutely. out there, grab something. Okay. But here's a, here's a quote from him it says, It takes considerable knowledge just to realize the extent of your own ignorance. Think about this. It takes considerable knowledge just to realize the extent of your own ignorance. Mm -hmm. And it takes a whole lot of humility to get to that place to say, man, I was just wrong about that. Hmm. (laughs) I was just wrong. But we got to get there. We got to get there. Because so much uh, is afforded us, so much is available to us. And uh, we got to do something about the fact that 65% of us are still talking about how horrible it is to be black in America. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's not. And we can have the conversation and we invite you to the table to have that conversation. That's a conversation that has to be had honestly. And so here at Culture and Convictions, that's what we're going to do. Look, this has been a good show. We want you to like, share, share this podcast with your friends, people you believe that would be interested in hearing uh, some of the topics and the subject matter that we cover here and people who you think disagree with everything we said. We want to hear from them as well. I'm serious. It is time to have a real honest conversation. I get so tired of people talking about we need to have an honest conversation about race and about politics in America. We need to have an honest conversation. Even the, 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 the candidates, an honest conversation. Well, talking about having an honest conversation is no substitute for having an honest conversation. At some point, you have to sit down and you gotta, you got to vet this stuff out. But we welcome you to the table at Culture and Convictions. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, be blessed.